I think it was probably 1996 when my wife and I, along with our two small children, lived in a townhome on the west side of Indianapolis, Indiana. That's where we're from. Go Colts. Anyway. One morning, as I'm going out uh, to go to work, I go out to get into our minivan. I think it was like a like an 84 Chevy Astro van. Remember, it had curtains. It was really cool. <laughs> Vans with curtains. We should bring that back. Anyway, uh, I went out to go to work to get in the minivan, and I realized something. The minivan's not here. <laughs> it was stolen. So after a phone call to the police, and after a few days had passed, uh, they found her minivan in some alley somewhere in the city, broken steering column, lighter burns in the, in the felt uh, interior lining, riddled with trash. Some interesting smells going on there too. But I still remember that feeling of walking out and realizing my van had been stolen. I felt violated. You ever had something stolen from you? And you're like, what in the world? You know, someone stole something from me and my young family. Here we're just trying to work, make a living, you know, paycheck to paycheck. And my, my van has been stolen. You know, it brings stress to your life, fear, costs money we didn't have to fix it, you know, stuff like that. But after that, I think I determined not to be a victim of car theft again. I went out and bought one of those anti, you know, theft device, steering wheel locks, you know. Uh, I probably, I think I stood watch outside my window for the next three, four days looking for the perpetrators. Anyway, maybe you've had something stolen from you at some point in your life, and you know that feeling that you get when you first learn something's been taken. Uh, anger, maybe, initially, resentment, maybe fear, certainly violation, you feel violated. Well, I want you to know today that you have an enemy that wants to steal something much more valuable from you than your earthly possessions. Our adversary, the devil, is constantly roaming the world in search of your stuff. He doesn't want your car, though, your lawnmower, your expensive keepsakes, your collectibles, whatever. He wants your life. He wants your children's lives. He wants your grandchildren's lives. And so to think of Satan as anything less than a conniving thief and a murderer is not to understand and think about Satan soberly and properly. Because he hates you. He hates God. He hates all of God's people. He hates your family. And he is out to destroy you and everything that you hold dear in your life. So the question is, I guess, for all of us here this morning as believers in Jesus Christ with an adversary, a common adversary is, what are you going to do about it? Are you going to sit idly by and just allow him to rob you? Are you going to sit by as he subtly yet strategically entices your children away from God? Not on my watch. You know, I'm, I'm ready to battle. I'm ready to fight. How does a believer who doesn't want to be a victim of the schemes of the devil take a stand against the enemy? 
and an enemy that is formidable. I really appreciate that song, Jairus. We sang about a very formidable enemy. On earth, there is no equal. He is powerful. What do we do to, to stand against this enemy? The first thing we need to do is we need to get angry. Look at 1 Peter chapter 5. We're going to be in verses 9 through 11 this morning. I think we need to get angry first. That's Satan. Peter writes to these believers and he tells them, Be sober-minded. Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him. Firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood, the family of God, throughout the world. Let's pray and let's ask God to help us in this moment. And to keep Satan at bay as we open up his word. God, we just need help this morning. We understand that we are all here this morning by divine appointment. You've brought us here because you have something to say. You have help for us. All of us experience suffering. All of us experience trials and challenges and struggles in life. And we realize, Lord, that they all come from the evil one, our adversary. Even in this moment, as we open up your word, he is at work. He wants to distract. He wants to draw our minds away from the truth. He wants us to doubt it, to dismiss it. And so we need your help, God. We need your Holy Spirit to illumine our minds to this truth, to understand deeply what, what you're talking about here so that we can be prepared to battle, to do battle that you've called us to battle to fight the good fight of faith, to take hold of the eternal life to which we're called, to not be a victim, to be wise to the schemes that he plays so that we can not just stand victoriously but live victoriously as children of the King. So we need you, God. We need your help. We need everything you're willing to give us in this moment. And we ask in the matchless name, the powerful name of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen. How much has Satan already stolen from you in your life to this point here this morning? We may not even know how much he's taken from us. But we do know this, it's very extensive, trust me. How many marriages has Satan destroyed? How many children has the devil derailed in their faith? How many of your family members maybe has he led astray by attributing his, his uh, reckless work to God? And when you stop and think about it, it should anger you. It should make you fight and mad, actually. When you realize all the heartache and the pain and the ruined lives that Satan has caused should drive us to action. It should light a holy fire within us that, that says, Not today, Satan, right? But then we need to determine by the, by the power and the grace of Almighty God to do something about it, to go to battle for our lives. Peter tells us how to go to battle with our enemy in that verse. He says to resist him. I imagine that, that we, if any of us saw a lion coming or a lion roaming, our first instinct would be to run, you know, run for your life. But that's not what Peter says is the proper response to the roaring lion called Satan. 
He says to resist. And in the Greek, the, the definition is to resist by actively opposing pressure or power. That's important. That's how you resist. You're actively opposing pressure or power from the evil one. And, and the verb form in the Greek, that word meant to, to strengthen or to become strong. There's another variation that I saw that says to have hostility towards something. That's the attitude I think we need to have. If you ever hope to have victory in your life over the, the schemes of the devil, you have to get fighting mad because you know what? Satan's angry. He's mad. He knows that he is a defeated enemy of God. Jesus won the battle on the cross against our adversary. Amen? He won the battle. He defeated Satan. He rendered him powerless at the cross. But he still refuses to lay down his arms as long as he's allowed to roam and as long as he's allowed to tempt and to intimidate. He's going to do that. But you know what? He's like a lion with no teeth. He knows he's a defeated enemy. Christians, don't be surprised. Don't be, don't be self-confident. But also, don't be scared. Don't allow him to intimidate you. Don't run from a powerless enemy, I think is what Peter is saying. And he roars like a lion, but you know what it is? It's really just an intimidation tactic. He has no power over God's people. The only time that Satan ever has victory over us is when we lay down and let him have victory. When we give in, when we don't fight. It's only ever when we succumb to his schemes and his tactics that we lose. And so Peter tells these believers as they encounter the schemes and the attacks of the devil, namely through their suffering, he says to resist him, but to resist him firm in your faith. You notice that, again, the definition of resist is to actively oppose pressure or power. And so the way we resist is to not run and don't ignore it, but you stand firm in your faith. Because what's the primary way that Satan opposes God's people in the world today? It's through pressure and influence. Satan, is in 2 Corinthians, I believe, is called the God of this world. He has a vast influence over the world, our world system. Romans 12 tells us that Satan's strategy is to squeeze us, squeeze God's people into his mold, the way he has shaped the world as we see it today. And so he's actively pressuring us, pursuing and pressuring us to conform to the world's way of life, the world's understanding of, of life and all things included. Well, what's the world's way of life? What's, what's the world's philosophy of life? Well, it's that man is at the center of the world. I'm at the center. The universe revolves around me, right? Isn't that the world's thinking and attitude towards, towards life? That the greatest endeavor you could ever give yourself to as a person is the pursuit of your happiness. You only go around this world once, so get all you can get while the getting's good, right? Does that sound familiar? Live for yourself. Make yourself happy. Pursue whatever brings you what you think makes you happy. Fame or fortune or whatever your little heart desires 
It's all about you and go get it. That's what we see today. People living each day for themselves and their own happiness, never giving much of any thought to their creator or to God's plan for them in their life or even eternity for that matter. We always live for the moment, don't we? Who ever thinks about eternity anymore? But God has already told us in the Bible, he's at the center of the universe, amen? God is at the center because he is the creator of the world. He's the sustainer of our world. He's the savior of the world, but he's also the sovereign over the world. And I think at the end of verse 11, Peter kind of shares God's view of life. He says, to him be dominion forever and ever. Amen. So when you, when you feel that pressure in your life from Satan to, to buy into that philosophy that the world's already adopted, God says, resist him firm in your faith. It's a trap. It's a scheme. It's the forbidden fruit that once you you taste and you take a bite, it only brings death. And we know better. We know this is true. I imagine everyone that's here today, as you hear this, you say, yeah, I agree with that. That's what the Bible says. God's told us that's how things are today. That's what our faith teaches. That's what we stand firm in. That's why Peter's solution to withstanding the attacks of the enemies, to stand firm in our faith, to resist him, but stand firm in our faith. One commentator says that believers remain steadfast in the faith by remaining true to their Christian convictions and to their trust in God. That's what it means to stand firm in the faith. Our, our ability to withstand the schemes of the devil is directly related to the strength of our faith. How deep are your convictions about this book called the Bible? How deep are your convictions about the trustworthiness of what you read here this morning? You know, one time in my life, I believed very strongly in the Bible and the truths of the Bible. Growing up in a Christian home with Christian parents, my mama's here today, so i got to watch what I say. Uh, but we grew up with parents that loved God, they took us to church, we had this foundation laid, and we understood the Bible's true. And, and there are dangers out in the world, like MTV, no I'm kidding, long, eh, amen, hey. But uh, we grew up in church that, that taught that too. The Bible's true. And we had strong convictions about how we ought to live as Christians, the dangers that are in the world that are very real, and that we should revere God and live for Him. But you know, convictions are only as strong as the pressure they endure. Because when you're a child, there's not a lot of pressure put on you to choose God over the world, you know. Maybe there is in, in some ways, but for the most part, life isn't all that difficult to live as a Christian child. We oftentimes ride the coattails of our parents' faith. But as parents, you know what our job is? It's to, it's to teach our kids to own their own faith. To live for God because they believe in Him, because they believe His Word is true. Not because... 
Mom and dad believe it's true. Mom and dad may have uh, successfully and hopefully navigated some of the uh, dangers that are out there in the world. Uh, they've come through the other end and they're still living for Christ in an evil world. That doesn't mean our kids are going to do that. You've probably already experienced that. They have to own their own faith. They have to grow in their own faith. They have to develop their own convictions about what God has said the meaning of life is. And then when their faith is tested, as ours was, when, when they have opportunity then, in their own volition, in their own faith, choose God's way over the world's way, hopefully they've learned that the world's way just doesn't satisfy. It's just not worth it. Isn't that the story of pretty much every person in the Bible, though, when you think about it? The Bible's full of people just like me and you. They're, they're just normal people. They're just trying to live by faith. They messed up big time. That's what I love about the Bible. You get to see everyone's failures. The, the people that are called, uh, that have a, David was a man after God's own heart. But look, we get to see all his failures and his struggles in his faith. But that's how it works. Your faith is tested, usually through trials or temptations orchestrated by the enemy. And then either they pass or they fail based on the strength of their faith. Think about Job. Well, who was behind Job's temptation in life to curse God? It was the evil one. But like most people of faith in the Bible, there's a whole lot of failing before our faith becomes stronger. At least that's my experience. Because we're weak. Our faith starts out weak. No one, no one comes to know Jesus and then boom, I got it down, this whole faith thing. But hopefully our faith doesn't stay weak throughout our life. But we are weak and we need to understand that when we're weak, He's strong. That's the key. We are not strong in and of ourselves. We sang about that this morning. I just love that, that song we just sang. I heard a story of uh, the great boxer Muhammad Ali during his reign as the heavyweight champion of the world. On one occasion, he took a seat on a plane, and as that giant 747 took off uh, down the runway, the flight attendant walked by and noticed that Ali didn't have his seatbelt fastened. <clears throat> she said, please fasten your seatbelt, sir. He looked up at her and said, Superman don't need a seatbelt. And just as quickly, she leaned down and whispered, Superman don't need a plane either, so buckle up. <laughs> right? If there's one thing that we can learn in our walk of faith is that we are not strong. Our strength always comes from the Lord Jesus Christ. Always. We are not Superman. He is. We have no power over Satan. Jesus does. We have no ability in ourselves to even detect the way that He's working against us to destroy us. But our faith tells us that the Holy Spirit who lives in us can show us and can make us wise to His schemes. It's not us. So how firm is your faith, Christian, this morning? How solid is your belief in God and His Word? How strong is your trust in Him through the difficult times of life? We can only know as, as long as our faith is tested and as far as our faith is tested. I, just a quick list of some of the devices that Satan uses to influence our lives and to destroy our faith. And this is just a, 
just a quick list of some things that he loves to use. Things like doubt. How many people have gone astray because of doubt? Doubt crept in. They never got the answers. They never investigated for, farther enough. And so they're just bankrupt in the faith because, well, I had some doubts and I just gave up. Or how about discontentment in life? Or discouragement? Or distractions? Or, or division? Depression? Or even disabilities? As I look at this list, I think Satan loves to take all of these things in our life and just throw fuel on the fire. It's what's called a, a foothold, if you will, in life. When these things, and we all experience these things at some point in our life, right? Maybe all of them. It's in those moments that when we don't respond standing firm in our faith, we open up the door for the devil. It's a, called a foothold. And it, what might start out as a little discontentment, if not seen properly according to God's word and God's uh, view of life and ourselves, that can turn into a huge stumbling block to our faith, can't it? The same with any of these things. These are all ways that our adversary, the devil, seeks to destroy our faith and our eternal significance for Jesus Christ. Remember Paul's words in Ephesians 6, 12, we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. That's the spiritual reality that's going on right now. So does it make you angry yet? Well, you should be. And that's the second part this morning. That's how to, to gain victory. Let's gain victory. As Peter goes on to say, after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself perfect or confirm or strengthen and establish you. To him be dominion forever and ever. Amen. Victory is possible in this life, folks. We can't have victory in all these areas of our life. But victory is guaranteed in the next life. Verse 8 reminds us that these believers were suffering and that whatever suffering they were enduring because of persecution, if you recall from our study, they were being persecuted because of the faith in Jesus. They had to abandon their home. They had to leave. There's so much going on that Satan wants to just stop them as soon as they get started in following Jesus. But Peter's saying, as much as you're suffering, as much as you're enduring, don't forget, your brothers and sisters in Christ around the world are experiencing the same kinds of sufferings. You're not alone. This is, this is true for all believers that want their life to count for Jesus. And so it reminds them that your current suffering, as painful as it may be, is leading them to a purer, stronger faith, which ultimately is going to bring more glory to God forever and ever, he says. Ernest Hemingway said, life breaks all of us, but many are made stronger in the broken places. Isn't that true? Isn't that what the God of all grace is saying? That after we suffered a little while, the God of all grace will make it right. All grace for all occasions. 
And when you're going through the struggle, when, you, when you're under the spiritual attack, if you recognize that, it doesn't seem like a little while, does it? As children, we used to travel down to uh, Evansville, Indiana from Indianapolis. It was about a three-and-a-half-hour, four-hour trip at that time, back in that day. But uh, as kids, what did we always ask Dad? How much longer? Are we there? How much longer? And it was always the same answer no matter where we were. Just a little while longer. (laughs) Maybe for you, you've been battling for many years. Maybe even a lifetime. But when compared to eternity and the glory that will be revealed that day, it really is a little while. So what do we do? How do we experience victory over Satan? That God promises to those who trust Him. It's a promise from God. The answer is to submit to the God of all grace. Surrender your life to the Lord Jesus Christ. Cast all your cares on Him we just read. Trust God. Pursue Jesus in your life. And become strong in the Lord and the power of His strength. That's what God tells us to do. Let God fight your battles. That's the pattern of the people of faith in the Bible and throughout history. Turn with me briefly to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 14 to 18. In this chapter, the Apostle Paul was writing to believers, and he's recounting all the suffering that he had endured in his life for Christ in the gospel ministry. And we're not going to go through all of it, but he said, hey guys, I've been afflicted in every way. I've been crushed. I've been perplexed. I've been persecuted. I've been struck down. I've been at death's door more than once in my life. I don't know about you, but if that were me and I went through all of that, I think I probably would have just given up following following Jesus with my life. But Paul didn't. He persevered. Why? Why did he persevere? He trusted in the God of all grace that he was at work in Paul's life and every circumstance he encountered. And so Paul stood firm in his faith. He believed that. He trusted God. But that's how it works. That's how he persevered. He had an eternal perspective on his life. And it flowed from his faith, his faith in God, his faith in God's Word. But listen to what he wrote in verses 14 to 18. We know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus from the dead will also raise us with Jesus and present us to you, with you, to himself. Then he says, all this is for your benefit, so that the grace that is reaching more and more people may cause thanksgiving to overflow to the glory of God. Therefore, we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we're wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. And so we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, oh, but what is unseen is eternal. God didn't just tell Paul, hey, I'm going to make it all right one day when, when you die and go to heaven. I'll make it all right. But for now, you're on your own. Didn't say that. 
Paul lived on the grace that God supplied throughout his entire life, his entire trouble-riddled life. And though outwardly he was wasting away, outwardly he was tired, I imagine he was sore, he got, he got beaten on more than one occasion. I'm sure he had scars, I'm sure he was bruised. Though outwardly he was wasting away. But inwardly, his inner man was being renewed every single day. God renewed his strength by his grace. God provided for Paul. And God provided for Paul the same way he provides for every one of God's children, even still today, through the spiritual struggles of life. He heals, he restores and he gives enduring grace. Isn't that good? God's grace. His grace can heal you from the suffering and the hardship that you experience. It can restore you back to vitality. And it can and help you endure throughout life and any future struggles that you may encounter. I think the end of verse 4, uh, excuse me, end of uh, verse 10 Peter gives us four words to help us kind of understand the way that God does this, the way that God supplies grace for us. These four words can be understood better when we think of them in the process of, of the healing of a broken bone. You ever had a broken bone? They say, I think, that it takes about six weeks for a broken bone to heal. But when you see these words and the way that God uh, wrote these particular words to help us understand how he comes in with his grace, you see what he's talking about, like, the word perfect, he will perfect, confirm, strengthen, establish you. Perfect or restore means to set a broken bone. To confirm means it, like to put a splint on a broken bone. To strengthen is like putting a wrap around the splint. And then to establish means that it gives it time to heal. It literally meant to make secure. And broken bones tend to heal rather quickly, but a broken heart... Or broken life, or broken relationship, oftentimes takes a, a lot longer, doesn't it? But the God of all grace can do that. He can heal a broken heart and a broken life. Because He will perfect, confirm, strengthen, and establish you back to spiritual vitality. You're not too broken ever to be useful to God in this world. I don't know about you, but don't you want to experience victory? Don't you want your life to be, to be uh, categorized, not categorized, but characterized by victory more than defeat? I certainly do. I, mean, I, I get tired of getting punked by Satan, let's be honest. There are it's usually after you stumble and fall, you, really, you look back and you're like, that darn Satan, you know, <laughs> I'm tired of that, falling for the same schemes over and over. His evil forces are, are robbing us, robbing us of the joy that we could be experiencing, robbing us of, of all that God has promised and He's prepared for us. That should make you angry. So in closing, here's just a short list, I think, that may help us get started. This is just a list that I came up with, some things that I was thinking of, uh, the ways that Satan schemes and connives to, to, 
destroy our faith. And this may help you to know whether you're standing firm in your faith or you're running. Because that's the key. You're either standing and fighting or you're running. But if we could just start with this, imagine the spiritual victories we could experience in our life. Well, what do you do when, when your adversary is at work in your life? Are you going to settle for spiritual mediocrity? Or are you going to pursue Jesus Christ passionately in your life? That's one way to tell. Are you, ha- are you just content? Are you just happy where you are spiritually? You know God enough. You know the Bible enough. You're, you're faithful enough. You're righteous enough. I'm good. Or, or how about when we blame others for our problems or our circumstances or, or blame circumstances? We're just always pointing to everything else in the world as to why we can't, why we can't overcome, why I can't get over this or live more victoriously. And so what that is, folks, is pride. Or will we stand strong in our faith and just take ownership? That's humility. I can only control what I choose to believe and walking by faith. I'm going to take ownership of of my life and my spiritual walk with God. And I'm going to humble myself before God. Here's a big one. You know you're running when you refuse to acknowledge or confess your sin. Sin has a, a subtle way of creeping into our life and dominating us. You ever think about maybe that I experience these hardships or, or a lot of them have to do with our, our emotions and our feelings or we're depressed or anxious or all these things because we have stopped acknowledging or confessing sin in our life. We, we give it a new name or we just smooth it over or we think, well, it's not that big a deal. I've experienced that. I, I know the road of allowing things like bitterness to harbor in my heart. They call it a root of bitterness, don't they? Because it spreads like a weed. But until you call bitterness in your heart that you're harboring sin against God, it may lead to other things. Are we, are, when's the last time that you have heard your own voice call out to God and say, God, please forgive me for this sin in my life. Forgive me for sinning against you in this way. Because that's what Satan wants us to do. Oh, it's not a big deal. Eh, it's not really a sin, is it? Whereas if you want to stand firm in your faith, come to God and develop a, a daily life of confession or repentance. Every day you come before the Lord and saying, God, thank you for your grace. Thank you for your forgiveness. Cleanse me of my sin. I want to walk in the light. I want to be in fellowship with you. Whatever sin, bring it to my attention. And just living openly with a heart of repentance for God. That's called standing firm in your faith because that's what the Bible says to do. If you read the Bible, Satan loves it when Christians don't pick up their Bible. Doesn't he? Just drop your sword. You're not going to need that, (laughs) right? And we do. 
for whatever reason, when you, when you stop reading the Bible, you're a sitting duck. However, if you want to stand firm against the attacks of Satan, daily spend time in the Word. You like how I said daily spend time in the Word daily? Because it really does need to be a regular thing, doesn't it? If we just kind of get the Word here on Sunday, that's great, and we maybe uh, learn some things or get excited, and then we go out here and we never pick up our Bible again, we're vulnerable. Or stop praying. Why is prayer always the last thing that we do, right? It's always the last resort. I tried everything else. Guess I'll pray. I don't, well, I don't know why that is we do that, but we do. But Satan loves it when you stop praying. But if you want to stand, develop a daily prayer life. Talk with God throughout the day. Develop this fellowship and this communication with God as you go about your day. Uh, another way that, that Christians sometimes run, I think, from Satan's scheme to destroy your faith in your life is they just pull away from other believers. Isolation. That, that's my response when, I, when I'm struggling or I'm dealing with something or, you know, I don't want to be around people. I don't want to be around other Christians, you know, necessarily. I want to just run and hide maybe. But what happens is it gets easier then to run and hide the next time, doesn't it? And you see this slow drift away from the body of Christ, that, that God has called us to come together to encourage one another, to help one another, to spur one another on. That doesn't happen when you're out here all by yourself. But Satan loves it. And so how do you stand firm in the faith? Draw close to other believers. Move towards believers in Jesus. Develop friendships. Have fellowship. Spur one another on. Be encouraged in your faith together. Knowing, that's why Peter said, knowing that the suffering you're experiencing is the same kind of suffering by your brothers and sisters around the world. We need to know that. We need to know that we're not alone in our struggle, whatever it may be. Or how about just faithfulness to church? Satan loves it. If you just sporadically attend church. If you feel like it or not, if the weather, oh, it's going to rain, oh, wow, I don't know if I can make it. He loves that stuff because this is where we get encouraged and we get fellowship and we get spurred on and we, we under, the truth of God's word is open. This is a worship service. We're worshiping God and it fuels us. And, and so when you're not here or you're rarely here, you miss the amazing preaching of this humble pastor. <laughs> and so the opposite is true then, right? Fully engage in the church. You don't, we don't attend church, we are the church. And so we get involved in the lives of these people here. Not just on a Sunday morning, though you may, but there's other ways. But engage. Get involved. Get to know people. Be part of something. And that goes with that too. Uh, running is when you never or rarely serve other people. Always just kind of looking out for yourself. I talked about a few weeks ago where we attend church by 
what, what can I gain here? What can I get? Feed me. I need to know more. I need to learn something. I need to be blessed. Well, we do, but we're called to serve. Jesus gave his life as a ransom for many. He laid it down for others. That was the model. That's the way he lived. That's the way he taught his disciples to live. That's the way he's telling us to live. And Satan knows that, and you know that. And so when we're not doing that, could that be an attack from the evil one? But if we practice serving others, getting involved in, in serving people, looking out for the interest of others, not merely your own interest, right? As we're told in the Bible and Philippians. Or we could live in fear. He loves to uh, cause us to fear the roar of the lion. Well, if I step out in faith, you know, I don't know what could happen. Something could go wrong, you know. And so what do we, do? we just don't move. We're just immobile. I think that's probably the, one of the most effective tactics that Satan uses is fear. Do you fear confessing your sin to someone else? Do you fear being exposed? You know, or do you fear sharing your struggles with someone? Maybe it's not even a sin issue. Maybe it's just a life issue. Maybe it's just a hardship. Maybe it's a relationship issue. But what do we do? We don't tell anyone, certainly not God's people, they might judge me. Well, that's probably true. I'm kidding. <laughs> We're good at that, too. Right? What is it? It's fear. It's fear of rejection, fear of someone looking at us funny. But if you want to live the way God says to live and experience the life that he says you can experience, there is a whole long list of the one another's in the Bible, isn't there? To love one another. Confess your sins to one another. One another, one another, one another. It's a relationship. It's a lifestyle. And that is called living by faith and not fear. I think some of the times that I uh, am the most, uh, what's a good word for it, uh, debilitated uh, is when I'm, when I'm struggling, spiritually struggling or struggling with sin. I don't know about you and your experience, but when I, when I am struggling with something, the last thing I want to do is reach out to other people. Or the last thing I want to do is move towards the church or the church folks. Because by, by not by nature, but by when I'm walking with God, when I'm living in faith, man, I get excited. I'm like emailing and texting people and I'm meeting with people, you know, and I just, I'm excited and you know, I'm just wanting to do more for the Lord. But as soon as I allow sin into my life, I don't confess it maybe, or I'm being attacked spiritually, thing, I, my life shrinks. And I'm not reaching out. I'm not making those phone calls. I'm not emailing. I'm not meeting with people. Right? I just want to be alone. It's a dangerous place to be. Are you wise to the schemes of the devil in your life this morning? That's the whole point. He's a master at this. He's crafty. He has trickery. He's an angel of light. He's going to appear even in things that seem to be good. 
but in the end it's death. Are you wise to his schemes in your life? Are you seeing the ways that he's trying to get footholds in your life to cause you to lose faith in God, stop trusting God, stop moving towards people, stop being about God's business in life, go back to your life, fulfill whatever it is that you want to do, spend your life on yourself. But I say we ought to, let's do battle. Amen? Let's do battle. Hey, listen, God's working in this church. There are a lot of churches in this community, a lot of great churches. I know some good pastors and believers in this church, uh, in this community, but God's working here. And I was just talking to a guy yesterday who had a bad experience with church. And they're always, he said, they're, they're just always asking for money. They're trying to do this, they're trying to do that, you know, and it just, the message was, you know, we're about the buildings and the programs, and we're about, you know, this whole uh, enterprise that we're building. That was the message he got. I can't say whether or not that was true or not, but that was his experience. And I said, you know, we're about, we're just about you. We just want you to know God. We want you to experience the, the abundant life that God has promised. We want to help you in the struggles of life. And that's our, that's our objective. And money. No, I'm kidding. God, God will provide. He's providing. But it's about, it's about life. It's about the abundant life. It's about the great commission. It's about reaching people. There's a lot of people, I imagine, inside this church and outside that struggle. We all have struggles. It's not fun. It's hard stuff, complicated stuff, messy stuff. But that's why we're here. Because we know the God of all grace Confirm, strengthen, and establish you. Amen? He's done it for us. He can do it for you. He can do it for others. We want people to know the God of all grace. So let's fight. Let's do battle. And let's see what God continues to do in our lives and in this church. Father, thank you for this time that we've had to open up your word, to hear from you. We understand that you have said your, your word is active. It's living and active. And your spirit takes your word, God, and he, and he pierces our heart, and he exposes us, and he shows us things. And, and then he comes in with grace. And so we're thankful for this opportunity we have. God, I pray for everyone here this morning. Whatever the struggle is, it's different for everyone. But help us to be wise, to know that it's, it's not just a human physical struggle. We have an adversary who constantly opposes, loves to lie to us, loves to deceive us, loves to cause us to doubt so that we don't move out in faith and experience all that you have for us. I want to experience more of you, God. I want to know you. I know that's the prayer of every heart here. I want to know you more. I want to see your power displayed more in my life. But understand that it's through the times of suffering that I have to draw close. Help us all to resist the devil and he will flee from us. He has no power. Your name is great. 
So in the name of Jesus Christ, I pray you help us, God, to do battle the way you've called us to. In Jesus' name, amen.